in a world where literature is dominated by dusty leather-bound books with no pictures. Three men dare to venture to their local comic shop to approach the counter and utter those three magic words. Make mine paperback. Welcome in and welcome back to Make Mine Paperback, a podcast about comic books and the American educational children's television series combining live action, sketch comedy, animation, and puppetry, originally produced by the Children's Television Workshop and created by Joan Gantz Cooney and Lloyd Morissette and known as Sesame Street. Conceived in 1966 with a goal to create a children's television show that would master the addictive qualities of television and do something good with them. The show originally aired on November 10, 1969 and continues to air today. I'm Graham the Grouch Giles living in a trash can down on Sesame Street. With me as always, my wacky neighbors on the street. He's bold and blue, a friend to you. He want cookie or a detective comic bookie, Stephen Shear. And he's a big yellow feathered fellow. His friendly face finds friends any place. Our Marvel Muppet, Alex Shear. <laughs> this week we have my book on our theme for November, third party comics from Image Comics. It's a short run series from 2008 about fantasy or maybe reality, who can say? It's I Kill Giants. We started off with issue two of seven, The Spark, moving from Barbara Gordon last week to Barbara Thorson, as Barbara continues to make her way in a world that just doesn't get the importance of giant slaying, new players enter her tale. The new girl, the bully, and the psychologist. Will any of the three crack through Barbara's armor and reach the girl inside? Well, we'll find out later, but before we get to that, Alex, what'd you read this week? This week, I texted Stephen about a book that I read because it was a very interesting take on some of our favorite DC characters. It was the Batman White Knight, Harley Quinn, and I really dived into that, and I had a lot of questions for Stephen, like, why is Batman in jail? Like, what is happening? Why is Harley Quinn raising two kids? Like, you know, so just very good, very interesting alternate reality take on one of DC's most popular characters. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Really hope that they continue to make more within that kind of White Knight series because I really, really enjoyed it. Well, sadly, Alex, I don't think they will. That was just a limited run, as far well, as I know. I'm going to write DC but... and yell at them. That's okay, right. You okay. Tell them. All right. <laughs> Wave my finger repeatedly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do that. I'll support you in your quest. It. Uh, Thank you. Because as the loyal listener that we have, we'll soon find out, is that Harley Quinn's definitely my favorite character. So. Oh, besides, I wasn't sure of that. Are, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> they don't have quite the same knowledge you do. <laughs> um, because besides Invincible, I did. I'm plugging away at Invincible, but that's going to take me today. So I did read that, but then I am subscribed to the Harley Quinn series, so that's the other thing I read this week. There you go. Very yeah. nice, Graham. What about you? You know, I didn't get uh, really any reading done this week. I, I read the rest of this uh, I Kill Giants run, but um, other than that, I didn't read much. Um, and with that. Talking about the I Kill Giants run, what do we think of uh, issue two of I Kill Giants? I want to first point out the art. This was something that jumped out to me the second I cracked it open. I felt like it was very Shel Silverstein. A lot of just the way it was drawn, the way the characters were kind of built and constructed. But I love that. It, it made me feel 
just visually like I was back in third grade reading stuff like where the sidewalk ends and you know whatnot obviously content wise not not the same story but I really appreciated the the simplicity of the art that was something that really stuck out to me so I was a big fan well this is definitely a book that's uh you know set with a, a younger kid um and I, I don't know that we ever get Barbara's actual age but um you know like early teens preteen kind of uh kind of age here um and so i think the art fits that drawn by ken nimura uh in this book and he kind of has a um an anime sort of style that you're right does combine a little bit of the kind of childish quality of shell silverstein it's it's a fun fun to look at anyway Mm -hmm. yeah i like that it was in black and i did you guys already heard the artwork but yeah i like those in black and you know it's nice to kind of go back to a more simple method of drawing i really like that and it is, I mean, I think the, the art fits with the story. The point is that this is kind of a story where we cross between this big, bold idea of giant slaying um, and and where we come into that with a little bit of the anime kind of art style, but we also have a an idea that this is a story about a, you know, a middle school girl um, or, you know, a junior high girl. And it's just a, uh, so kind of, kind of a simple story about a simpler time and when things get a little more complex uh so i think the art fits that yeah it's almost it's almost like you could imagine that because it's very much about her kind of escaping reality it's almost like she could have actually drawn the comic herself sure yeah it's very much that that detached from reality kind of thing this is that freedom of her own mind if you will so i i i get that i get exactly what you're saying there Stephen. i like that take that's uh that's a good take because we do see Barbara throughout the series uh, doing her own doodles. So I like the idea that this is Barbara drawing her own comic. Uh, it's kind of fun. So we start this story with uh, Barbara and she's she's blessing her her weapon, uh, Kovaleski, um, which is a, a giant hammer used for slaying giants. Um, and uh, we find out later that, that Kovaleski is named after Harry Kovaleski, um, who, you know, early... 1900s ball player uh, in 1908 he takes out the the New York baseball giants um, who are now in uh, San Francisco and uh, he takes them out this team who is kind of a foregone conclusion uh, to win the pennant and he takes them out in three games in five days and forces a playoff game at the end of the season <laughs> the way the book is written we have this description of Harry Kowaleski taking out the giants um and and it's kind of purposely vague because it sounds like harry kovaleski forces this playoff between his team the phillies uh, philadelphia and uh, the new york baseball and that's not true he just they just played spoiler he takes down the giants three times and the giants have to play somebody else in a playoff game for the championship um i mean we get it the guy the guy beats the best team in baseball three times in a row uh you know, in a very short period of time on very little rest. And uh, this is back in the day when most pitchers went complete games. Um, that, that's You talk about your Harley Quinn. That's uh, my baseball nerd coming out. Um, but uh, going to a complete game like that, that's, that's tough at any time. And to do it, you know, back-to-back-to-back games, that's impressive. But his team didn't win the championship and ride off into the sunset. Um, and it, I think that's almost – I don't think it's an intentional, but it's almost an appropriate – sort of name for this book because we see often in this book a uh, a potential for a fairy tale ending not happen um 
And so I, I like to see the the fantasy of Harry Kowalewski also spoiled a little bit by the reality of the situation. Yeah, I mean, I don't know as much about baseball as you, obviously. I mean, I thought that that was still, you know, she named it that because of, he still did. I think it's because it was first time out even something, wasn't it? <laughs> like his first time pitching professionally. and Yeah, he was a rookie pitcher. Or a rookie, not first time. I think yeah, that's at least. He was young you know. in the league. And that was back when, like, rookies were, what, 16? Like, so they were, yeah, like, I mean, kids. He, he was young um, when he when he goes into this game and he takes on the top the top team in baseball and so that's kind of a cool story too him uh, him being a kid slaying giants and Barbara being a kid slaying giants so kind of the, a, ha- uh, the the hammer I wanted to point out I and maybe this is just the Marvel nerd in me but I I felt like it had similarities to the classic Stormbreaker or. Um, kind of a different twist on Mjolnir just the way it's kind of sketched on her purse or on the on the little heart purse I guess is uh what I'm going for it I just I just had that's what I got and again I'm, I'm drawing Marvel parallels of course but that's that was something that I kind of picked up on it kind of reminded me a little bit of a Stormbreaker or an old school Thor's hammer well it's, it certainly draws inspiration from the old Norse legends of Thor uh, I don't know that it draws. I mean, I'm sure it does because it's a comic book, but I don't know that it that Joe Kelly is drawing inspiration from Thor, the comic book character, or sure. Thor, the god. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it definitely draws inspiration from a from a common ancestor, anyway. Yeah, and writers always like to hide Easter eggs. I mean, I didn't. Yeah, you know, into the design of it myself. I I picked that up right away. That was one of the first things I saw, and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. there's Mjolnir. So, <laughs> just tells you where I'm at with my head in the in the the comic universe. Yeah, I, I, I like that she has her own weapon too to take on giants, since this yeah. is her career after all. That's right. She is a giant slayer as a career path. Love it. And that's coming to this book issue one. We had um, Barbara. We see that she's getting in trouble at school because she won't stop talking about giants and giant slaying. Uh, we see that something's going on at home where we don't see her parents at all. Um, we're we're under the impression that her dad left, uh, but we don't really know why or how. Um, and we we see that Barbara is something of a dungeon master, um, doing uh, a little bit of Dungeons and Dragons sort of stuff. Um, so we have this girl who is at least a little bit nerdy, um, but also very very tough. Uh, and that's where we start book two with the uh, or issue two with Barbara laying out a trap for a uh, for a giant who might come by. Um, and so she's laying out this trap, and it's uh, she has little fairy friends assisting her. Um, and, and I think that's kind of the running points of this book, is are the... Uh, in, in, until, the, you know, the point where the revelation happens. Uh, the question is, are these fairies real? Are they little imaginary friends for Barbara? What do you guys think? I mean, I, it certainly seems like truth to the reality. I mean, she's not just writing about them or anything like that. She's actually laying out physical traps for them. So it seems like she at least believes it a little bit. I mean, maybe she convinced herself it's real, but I don't know. I mean, I'd like so, to think there's some truth to it. So I'm inclined to believe that there's definitely truth to this, right? I, I think that just based off of her perception, and again, I know that we get this idea that she gets detached from reality, right? So, you know, there's, but I think that, what happens when we get detached from reality, it's often inspired by reality, right? You know, we, we don't just think of 
things off of you know out of nothing like it's there's usually some level of inspiration so I'm, I'm willing to believe that to some degree yeah they're they're real maybe not to some of the extent that we may see but I, i'm willing to believe that they they are real or they've been real at some point like you said if you know she wouldn't just make this up out of at least a nugget of truth to it at least but we also see her reading a lot of dungeons and dragons which notoriously has quite a bit of lore to go along with it um and so I, I think at least some of this knowledge that she has about dragons comes from Dungeons and Dragons. Or sorry, this knowledge she has about giants, not about dragons. <laughs> but some of this knowledge comes from Dungeons and Dragons and not about not from any sort of passed down tradition or something like that. Sure. Sure. No, that's fair. I I don't know, I'm still inclined to believe there's some level of truth. It, yeah, to this, some degree. Yeah, this book offers a lot of freedom to the I feel like I mean I haven't finished the series out yet, but or the issues, but I haven't finished that out yet. Um, but it does seem like the artist or the author wanted to get some freedom to decide for themselves. So kind of like how in you know Dungeons and Dragons and all the stuff in this comic book, you kind of have your own freedom to make your own choices. So I just like to think that the author kind of gave the reader that same choice. Like you can decide if it's real or not, or how much of it's real. Yeah, um, and I think I think I think both decisions that you make are are pretty valid when it comes to how real are these giants how real are these little fairies that that hang out with barbara um how real is kovaleski the the hammer um all of this stuff is is up to interpretation uh, and even at the end of the the end of the series you know I, i've read all the way through i think there there is a little bit of interpretation there where you go i think it's real or i think it's not either way it's a uh, it's a good story so we have we have barbara setting up these these traps for giants um, she's putting out this super smelly bait, um, and along comes new neighbor, uh, Sophia, um, and, uh, Sophia is talking to her about the, uh, these traps, and we find out just how seriously, uh, Barb takes this. Barb is going, this is not, this is not funny, this is not any sort of joke, this is, this is about slaying giants. Oh, yeah, and... I forget what, because I think Sophia says something. I don't. I don't think Barbara likes it, and so then she kind of parts ways. So, yeah, it's very much clear that she takes this giant killer stuff very seriously. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Is that this is very clearly not just something that she's just like whatever. Like it's it's a thing I do. I enjoy whatever. Like it's a very, it's a part of her. It it almost defines her in a sense, which I think we kind of discover a little bit later in the book, a little bit more of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, this very much defines her. Obviously, the title uh, kind of gives us that impression. But the, uh, I mean, this is something that she uses to define who she is as a person and who she wants to be to other people. And right. it is good that she has all that kind of figured out. But I, the whole time I was just reading, if, if she maybe takes it a little bit too far, that was my thought. I mean, if, if this uh, is well, she, I, I think she definitely does. And I yeah. think this is a perfect book to read if you are a fan of comic books. Um, hint, hint. <laughs> um, and the uh, with the idea to remember that a lot of times when when you're really into something, it can feel offensive whenever anybody makes a joke about it. Um, and I think we with this first meeting with Sophia, we we see Barb getting offended by Sophia suggesting that this is some sort of fun game. But then she remembers that actually Sophia showed interest in this, and most people don't show any interest at all. Mm-hmm. So even though it's not the quite the the seriousness level that that barbara has um sophia is still interested enough to ask questions um and so we get a little bit of just throwing sophia a bone at the end when she says you have a very pretty name um 
which is like a cool way to so even though uh, Barbara is ending the conversation she's saying conversation over uh, she throws a little bit of a you got a nice name though so that that's not bad yeah and I'm glad you said that too about uh, you know when you she takes this seriously because like as we were having just this conversation you know podcast just now I was thinking of, this is a good metaphor reading comic books in general I mean, it's just mm-hmm. it's up to you to decide how serious you want to take it or how real it feels to you I mean it's like you all read well read comics to some extent to escape reality and kind of set up our own you know idea you know our own like cool fantasy yeah it is it's like the ultimate metaphor for his reading comic books in general absolutely i think and i think that's that's very spot on i think that's a solid description of of that parallel and making that connection so yeah i, I agree with that 100 percent. so following this we have barb coming inside we see the first appearance of this disembodied voice from upstairs Barbara's terrified of this voice shouting her name, um, and we, we see it kind of scribbled out in these scary letters that, again, look like something that a kid might scribble in their notebook. Um, just just a, a scary voice, um, and uh, I think we're, we're wondering, and, and, and my, my take is that this is Barbara's mom um, upstairs shouting for her, um, but I, I, again, it's a point that's open to interpretation. What do you think? I mean, is is this the mom shouting from upstairs? Well, because I read the first issue, too, and they definitely reference her sister, too. So I don't know if it was going to be her sister or her mom, just because I didn't. I don't remember any other after the mom, but I do remember sister coming up a couple times. No, we do see at the end of the book, um, and, and a little bit of a spoiler, but not really, uh, at the end of this issue, we see the sister saying, oh, yeah, it seems like you... Uh, you were you were too loud and you woke up and you woke him up or whatever um and so i I think we can know that it's not the sister because the sister is is referencing this as well um again that's my my take is this this is barbara's mom no i i can agree with the barbara's mom thing i mean very clearly terrifies her that's i mean that's painfully obvious within the pages and so you know it almost makes you ask the question of like what kind of relationship is there with mom what kind of relationship was there with the parents as a general rule you know mm-hmm. um at least when you first stumble upon this section and so you know is is she like a stepdaughter is she you know like there's any number of things like the evil stepmother kind of th- you know whatever it is um but i i don't know for me i think yeah I, i'm fine with going with the mom because it, it makes sense like there's you you know when you're growing up when your mom yelled at you and you knew like they were yelling about something terrified you like right. so you know what whatever she's being yelled at for you know waking them up or what you know whatever like it's terrifying and yeah so yeah i i get it it i can get that it would be mom and just before this point we have we overhear a converse or barbara overhears a conversation upstairs about um she's getting worse um, all the time, and I don't know what we're going to do. Um, and and we, we kind of are left to assume that this conversation is about Barbara. Um, and so then, then followed by this um, scary, screechy Barbara voice, um, I think we're left to understand that uh, Barbara is not having a great time at home. Yeah, yeah I think that was, that's something I picked up on as well, even from the few issues I had, happiest times at home. Cause, yeah, I guess, I mean, it very easily could have been her mom, but I mean, I guess she could be also a foster kid mm-hmm. as well. I really thought I had. So we have, we have the next morning, um, Sophia comes by and we're going to go to school together. And um, the uh, that's Sophia and, well, at first Barbara is looking through whether it's it's binoculars or a, or a telescope, she's looking down. She's looking up at the sky, at the clouds, and um, 
that's Sophia says, hey, let me look. And she looks and she goes, oh, cool. It looks like a looks like a face. And that's, we have Barbara going, oh, yeah, Harbingers of Doom are, are, are cool. Yeah, that's again, Barbara's taking this seriously and Sophia less so. Well, and I, I think that's something that we're picking up on Barbara really quickly is she's got a very sarcastic side to her. Like, oh, yeah, those are totally cool. Or, you know, as we'll discuss later on, there's some other points where she's very blunt and sarcastic about different things. So I think I think that's where we're starting to kind of see her roll out her identity is not she doesn't really care what people thinks about her. She's just very like, this is who I am, like deal with it or don't. So I respect that. She's very known. That's for mm-hmm. sure. I think. Yeah, she. This is very important to her identity. She believes in these giants, and it doesn't matter to her if anybody else does or doesn't believe in these. She does. She takes it very seriously. When people make jokes about it, am I going to get sarcastic back or worse? Well, yeah, she definitely thinks this is life or death. And we see in the first issue that she is getting in trouble at school because she takes this slaying giants thing so seriously. Um, and then when we go to school in this issue. Uh, we see, you know, kind of the the trope that is lunchroom anxiety, and we see Barbara sitting there, and nobody really accepting her being at their lunch table, um, and we see the the classic school bully come up and uh, and and demand some sort of bribe so that she, so that Barbara won't get beat up, and uh, Barbara's offering to the bully is to spit in her hand, um, which again this Bold. is. This, well, this so is bold. one. This is one where, where there is no interpretation. We know that this bully is real, and we know that this bully is a real life giant. And Barbara's ready to slay her. <laughs> yeah. And so she do, she does the best she can and spits right in her hand. <laughs> yeah, I think, and I think that that is the best. You now, maybe not spitting in the bully's hand, but I do think standing up to him is probably one of the you know, more effective. But yeah, this is the classic trope of uh, you know lunch or bully demanding lunch money. And I do I like that she's prepared to back up what she believes in too. I mean, clearly, as we've said a million times, she takes this stuff so seriously. So when it happens in real life, it's almost like she's looking forward to the opportunity to prove it. That's right. She's like, been practicing these skills for so long. She's, she's ready just, to actually use them. Yeah, you just have to deal with giants in different ways. In those cases, you know, she knew which tactic to use. That's right. So it was a we bold see... tactic, though. Like, let's be really honest here. I don't. It was. I don't know many bold. people who do that. That is not but something cla- you should do. That's right. Classic bravery versus stupidity. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, but we see Barbara gets saved by the counselor. Uh, she gets called to the counselor's office, and uh, Barbara is not. <laughs> she's not one to be fooled by the the counselor's you know like tricks and nonsense. So it's the counselor talking about I'm new here too, and I'm. Uh, I'm less. I'm. I'm. You know, new here, and you know all the tricks in the trade. So you're the expert. And Barbara, is, you can even. There's no motion. It's a comic book, but you can see her rolling her eyes. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we can see Barbara going. This is. This is nonsense. It's not true. Um, and. Uh, and yeah. And that's uh, very quickly. Barbara's determined that this counselor has struck out. That she is not offering any sort of guidance um, that Barbara can use, and she's ready to go back to class. Yeah, it just, just walks right out of there. That scene definitely was the one that stuck out to me. She's like, all right, that's like your final strike or whatever. He just walks right out of there. That's right. Well, and I love that she comes back and she's like, and look, I'm not racist. I just have shit to do. Like, that's just like, she's like, I'm out. It's not you. I just have to do stuff. But well, also, no, it is, don't embarrass me. No, it is you. It's just not your race. It's it's yeah, your actions that have fair. made me yeah. leave. It's, it's not... It's not anything superficial about you. It's just that you suck. 
<laughs> that's that's why I'm leaving. Don't take it personal. <laughs> that's right. Don't take it personal. Just be better. Yeah, that's right. It's exactly what it is. Just be better. So yeah, again, we have Barbara being a straight shooter. Um, then we end up in the uh, like the the lobby of the school um, at the end of the day, and of course the uh, the bully problem rears its ugly head again and again. We see Barbara not ready to back down from any fight. I think, uh, and if she truly does, she's fighting giants. I think that's a good skill to have. But that's one thing that I uh, was when I was reading this comic. Like, man, she just really, I don't want to say she takes it too far ever, but she just really never lets off the gas going ahead. And well, I don't exactly. know if that's bold or crazy. Well, and that, that was my interpretation is like, <laughs> all right, you've already like made this bully mad right this bully is already upset with you which is why they've now hunted you down again because you you humiliated them and you got away because you got called down to the office so now this bully is here and like has you against a locker and is beating the life out of you and you're just still going at her like that's right (laughs) what level of bold slash stupid are we here that's right we've got this never say die thing and that's and we see uh, Barbara, who's under the impression that everyone who loves her will abandon her, we see Sophia immediately abandon her, run away when the bully shows up. And Barbara going, oh my goodness, it's happening again. This person I thought was my friend, I thought could maybe, probably not as good as me, but could stand up to giants, not standing up to giants. What the heck? And we learn very shortly thereafter that Sophia, also brave, less stupid goes and gets the principal immediately she says hey there's this fight going on can you help break it up can you stop this bully from beating up my new friends um and i think that's that's what we get where this uh, this bullying has made fast friends out of barbara and sophia well and i think yeah. that's the yeah that's the big part is like because now barbara can see like hey you know maybe she's just dealing with this bully in a different way than i would like she's she's trying to protect me she's trying to be a friend so I think that that does help forge that bond a little bit. And it's like, hey, you did have my back. Not in the way that I would have my back, but you did, so respect it. Well, and and Barbara says, hey, that was that was brave of you to stand up to the bully. And Sophia says, I stood up to the bully? I didn't know that. <laughs> and so I think we see that, that while Barbara makes these constant, you know, conscious decisions to be brave and to be bold and to be a giant killer... Um, Sophia accidentally makes because she has, you know, whereas, you know, Barbara is bold, Sophia has the heart to, to stand up and say, I, I don't want my friend to die <laughs> to this bully. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that they seem to have a pretty solid friend from that already. It That's right. Seems it's, like been, Barb it's been 20 is... hours since they've met yeah. each other. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, yeah Barb, Sophia is very interested in being Barb's friend. It's probably good considering it's, uh, you know, Barb just seems to really not get along with people. So that's right. Yeah. Well, well, and then like, obviously as you, as you flip further into the book now, Sophia is like really invested in like talking to Barbara mm-hmm. and like just trying to figure out her and what she's about. And I mean, they're literally sitting on the beach. I think it's a beach and they're just talking about, you know, these dragons or these dragons and these giants and, you know, just all this stuff. It's and she's just invested. She's there. She's like, yes, I want to know. I want to understand. And I think that's really cool. It is really cool. And this does, this offers us a little bit of the, the giant Titan backstory. We see that Barbara is saying, well, giants are definitely real. 
Titans. I don't. I don't think Titans are real, but but giants. They're definitely real. Um, and so we see that like even even Barbara is drawing a line in the sand, and she says there are some things that are real and some things that are fantasy, but some fantasy things, are, mm-hmm. which is yeah, a. Uh, I think it's kind of a fun part of the book. Is that yeah. is the fantasy part of it real? Uh, and so again, we see this question pop up, and we see that even Barb hesitates. Yeah, I, like you said, this, this book is per, like as you're reading it, it forces you to think about yourself and your own, you know, comics that you read. It's like, yeah, it's silly that she makes a distinction between Titans and Giants, but we probably all do something similar to that in our own stories. We probably are like, oh yeah, this is t- this is totally realistic or something that could happen, but I bunk, it's stupid. So I, I think this this book, if you read it and you kind of evaluating it yourself while reading this book. I, I don't know. I think it's interesting. So I did notice, though, you know, we as we get towards the end of the book uh, with talking about baseball, right, you know, and how they're they're diving into that, how Sophia said something about, oh, you know all this, like, history or whatever, um, this guy baseball stuff, and then it just seems like a light switch goes off in Barbara's head, and she's like, don't get too close. You're going to die. Like... What? Like, you let this girl get so close to you and you described everything and whatever. And then you're like, oh, yeah, by the way, don't get too close to me. Like, you you might die. So, like, that's a thing. Which kind of supports the idea that the voice upstairs might not be Barbara's mom. Because she's saying that, I mean, I, I think this is pretty clearly that her dad is dead. Because we see talking about baseball and talking about, you know, guy stuff and boy stuff. And, uh, and then and bringing that up reminds Barbara that the people close to her are dead. I think it, I think that's a pretty clear uh, implied idea that Barbara's dad is dead. Um, and when she says, people close to me die, I don't know that it's super clear otherwise why she's saying people close to me die and not just my dad died, um, uh, unless maybe her mom's dead. Mm. Yeah, that's that's what I picked up on. I did pick up on that line when said people me die. Obviously, that's plural. So I I did I thought about it. it's probably a lot of people. I mean, that's kind of why it seems like she's dealt with a lot of and it just seems like if, if she did have to deal with all those hardships it's the case that she would want to escape reality. Sure. And there's certainly something going on that there's some sort of hardship that uh, that makes Barbara uh, seek out the comfort of Dungeons and Dragons and, and the comfort of slaying giants. Um, I, I think it's clear that Barbara blames these giants for the for for these deaths that have happened around her. Now, a lot of this is me playing coy because I have read the series, so I, I know the answers to these questions. <laughs> but uh, it is I, I think I think at this point like, that's the reason I, I picked book two is because we get introduced to Sophia uh, and the counselor and the bully, all of whom become important characters in the series, and uh, and then it gives us a little more insight into Barbara as a character trying to figure out what's going on in her life so following this big conversation following again we see nothing in barbara's life is perfect right that's she's finally bonding with a friend and the friend says something about baseball and that shuts it down immediately like we, we can't continue this good thing something bad has to follow um and so we see the conversation get shut down we see barbara leaving abruptly again uh and coming back inside and again waking up the scary voice and this is where we see barbara's sister offering some sympathy and saying like you know you stepped on that you came up the stairs too loudly um and uh i'm sorry about that are you okay i heard and uh we see barbara retreating to the safety of her her dungeons and dragons fort where she's drawn all of the protective runes all around her and she has all of her her figures and her and her dice to uh 
to protect herself and to escape reality. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think it's it's interesting to see how Barbara, as bold and as brave as she is externally, how she still has to have that moment and that time to, I need to be by myself. I need to be by the things that I feel protect me. So yeah. I find that as an interesting way to finish it out. Yeah, she feels element dungeon, and even she even feels somehow as an escape reality, trying to kill pretty harsh. You know, that's her safe place. She escapes, and that's kind of why she seems like she has a tough time getting close to people and just has that escape. I mean, sure. and, and I think when she says, you know, people close to me <clears throat> die, I think she's recognizing that, that death is, is a part of life, and it happens. And in that that recognizing comes this understanding that sometimes you have to kill, too, and sometimes you have to kill these giants that are going to come and take the things that you love. Um, and so we, we end the book with Barbara in her little D and D fort kind of, kind of, you know, storing up energy for the fight that is to come. Uh, what do we think of the book in general? I mean, this is, I think this is one of those ideas or and the reason I picked third party publishers is because I think we, we often as comic book fans, we get stuck in this idea that DC and Marvel are the only, um, and then we only branch out from them to the similar comic books, like like the Invincibles out there, where we're saying we're also looking at the superhero kind of stuff. I wanted to pick something that wasn't so much superheroes, that wasn't so much DC and Marvel, um, as a way to kind of uh, dip our toe in the water of these third-party uh, publishers. Uh, what would you guys think, in general? Well, I mean, that's that comics don't have to be about superheroes. Like you said, we're just kind of trained to think that way just because that's, I mean, it's more mainstream and probably more titles with superheroes and comics. Yeah, I mean, comics can be anything. They don't have to be for kids or adults. Don't have to be about superheroes. I mean, I've read some horror comics as well that aren't about superheroes, downright terrifying. Um, no rambling, but yeah, I think that comics, you know, interesting and about different topics. So I really like one. I thought, like, like I said, while I was reading it, it just kind of made me reevaluate why I read comics too. So it was more, it was pretty introspective comic, but it was a good read. I mean, it was well done. I liked the artwork, as we said, it kind of supported the story, made sense with the story. I liked it. It was, it was a good break, break from. Well, and I think that, you know, I echo Steven on that. It's, this was a story about somebody who has a phenomenal imagination this wasn't a story about some somebody getting superpowers or somebody turning evil or it was about somebody who has an extraordinary imagination and it and i think that was the beautiful part is because it was so simple it was it's something any of us could relate to as kids you know we had imaginations on things that we did or wanted to do and so i think that it was a very relatable for for the kid in us you know, dealing with stuff like the, you know, the high school bully or the middle school bully, um, having our imaginations, you know, knowing people who weren't always in class, you know, whatever it may be. It's just trying to find a new friend as a teenager and in a world where that's that's difficult. So I think that this was a very, very well done read. And I actually really enjoyed it. I'm probably going to check out the rest of the series. I hope you do. I hope you guys do check out the rest of the series. Um, and that's as you were saying. That's I think we, if we've learned anything from our podcast so far, it's that comic books, even though they're outlandish and even though it's it's certainly a fantasy world, uh, they do reflect the life around us, even if it's only in subtle ways. Um, and uh, and I think this book does a great job of exemplifying that. And with that, that finishes week one of our third party publishers. Uh, Stephen, what are we reading for next week? 
Oh, great. I'm going to have to scramble real quick to come up with something different because, <laughs> because we're going right back to superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're going back to superheroes, but not in the way most people would expect. In fact, the next book I would definitely recommend only for super mature readers who are not easily offended because the not book that I'm going to... Not regular mature people. Super mature. <laughs> That's right. Which mature. means that I won't be around next week. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have a There's guest. There's no show next week, folks. <laughs> we're going to have a guest. <laughs> uh, but for real, it's got, it's got incredibly dark... It's an incredibly dark tone. It's got really vulgar language, and I would really only recommend it for adults. It is The Boys number 21, I Tell You No Lie, GI Part 3, from 2000. And you don't really have to read the other two in the other part two to understand what's going on in this issue. Um, Yeah, sorry guys, we're going right back to superheroes. That's all right. Third parties can do superheroes too. And I think we know that the boys don't do superheroes the way the the major comic houses do. If if you've seen it on Amazon, then you know, but... Uh, that's the point I forgot to make is that if you've seen the show on uh, Amazon, um, the comic is much, much worse. It's much darker <laughs> and much more violent. So. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, we've got our dark, violent book for next week. We're really excited about that. Uh, moving from a comic written in 2008 to a comic written in 2008, we're certainly expanding our horizons. <laughs> we really Any love part- the, the late 2000s here. That's right. You know what I noticed? I, I was going through the books uh, last week, and I noticed um, all of our, with the exception of Stevens, uh, uh, three of four of our spooky books are from the 80s. Um, and, and, and from from 88 and 89, not just from the 80s, from, from two years. <laughs> and I think I'm because the only one who's had a comic that's been in this year. That's, that's right. We all, yeah. We've yeah. had one 2021 comic. Um so, uh, yeah, there's a little data insight into the podcast. <laughs> do, do we have any parting thoughts, boys? We'll, Sounds we'll try like we to need to expand up. our horizons <laughs> beyond the 80s yeah. and 2008. That's, uh, we're stuck in two, two years. I'll tell you what, man. Even if we could go back to, like, 87, we'd be making progress. We have yeah. 88 and 89 a bunch um, because those are the best years of comic books. Clearly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> But no, this is a this is a fun read. I'm excited to dive into the rest of the series, and I'm looking forward to reading the boys this week and dive into another world that I'm not familiar with. And I think that's been the best part so far is diving into comics that I've not been familiar with, comics I'm not stories and characters I'm not totally familiar with, and yeah, that's that's been a lot of fun so far. Yeah, I agree. I think hopefully everybody's leaving their comfort zone and stories they went learning a thing or two and hopefully picking new titles. Well, I, I think sometimes we have so much baggage because we, we know about the, the cartoons and the comic books that we read in our youth, and so we have so much of the backstory memorized for these DC and Marvel characters um, that that baggage can sometimes drag us down and not really let us appreciate characters for the first time, and so these third-party comics give us that opportunity. So, with that... We hope you enjoyed the show this week. We hope you had a fun Halloween. We hope you ate way too much candy. Uh, we hope you vote in your local elections if you're having local elections. We hope you go out and go to your local comic shop. We hope you approach the counter. We hope you tell the person at the counter to make yours paperback. We'll see you next week. <laughs>